Well, hey, everybody, welcome to our fourth and final week of our One Family series, our online gatherings. Next week, we'll come together back here in this Third Street location at 9 and 1030 to worship together, to study the scripture together, and to just uh, be together as a church. And so hopefully you've been connecting with us in person at our barbecues. Today, we'll have our final one from 11 to 1. We've had hundreds of you guys come throughout the month of July and gather and develop relationships, and I hope that you'll join us today. Whether you have joined us before or not, make sure you come and hang out with us today from 11 to 1. Well, today I'm wrapping up our series on one family. Every week we've been talking about one or a few attributes of what it means to be a part of a spiritual family. We've talked about the fact that families grow, that families need to be unified, that uh, families need to be in community. We've talked about a lot of different things. And today I want to talk about one last important attribute of family. But before I tell you what it is, let's read the scripture together. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 is where we're going to start. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The second passage I want to read is just a short verse. Submit to one another in reverence or out of reverence, for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Today I want to talk to you on the subject that family chooses humility. Family chooses humility. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can come digitally and gather around your word and gather in your presence as we've already experienced through the worship this morning. I pray that as we talk about this idea of humility, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us and change us. Help us to be more humble. Help us to be people who choose to exalt others and humble ourselves, Father. We ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God. Amen. When you think about your childhood vacations, where do you think of? When I think about childhood vacations, I always, almost, almost 100% of the time, think about Gulf Shores, Alabama. Gulf Shores is the most uh, southern part of the state of Alabama, and it is one of the most beautiful beaches you'll ever go to. I know what you're thinking. Beaches in Alabama, it can't be that pretty. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's actually very similar to uh, the panhandle of Florida. It, beautiful water, not just beautiful water, but beautiful white sandy beaches. It was a favorite of mine growing up, and it was a place that we frequented a lot. 
Some of you may have had a diverse amount of vacations as a kid. Uh, my family, we were all beach bums. We loved to go to the beach. And while we did other things in different seasons, the most consistent thing we did as a family on vacation was go to the beach. Now, one of the things that I loved about going to the beach was getting to swim in the Gulf. Now, Swimming in the Gulf is different than swimming in the Atlantic Ocean, and it's different than swimming in the Pacific Ocean. The biggest difference is it's not frigid, right? Like when you jump into the Pacific Ocean, even in August, in the hottest season of the year, it's still bitterly cold. And you may not think that, but for someone who grew up swimming in the Gulf, it just, it takes my breath away every time. It doesn't matter how warm outside it is, the water's still freezing. Well, one of the brilliant parts about swimming in the Gulf is that it's actually a lot warmer than most bodies of water. Now, granted, that is what causes hurricanes, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Swimming in the summer in, uh, in Gulf Shores, Alabama, or anywhere on the Gulf Coast is an amazing experience. Now, one of the things that my parents taught me at a young age, specifically my dad, was how to swim in the Gulf. Swimming in an ocean or, or in a Gulf is very different than swimming like in a pool. One of the biggest things is that you have these things called riptides. You have the, this current that can pull you one way or the other while you're swimming. And you obviously, you don't have that in a pool. If you do, you should probably get that checked out. Anyway, when we're talking about swimming in the Gulf, we are, we are talking about this amazing experience of jumping into the water, swimming out. I, I can remember doing this with my dad at a young age. We'd swim out to what seemed like forever away from the beach. And we'd get to a spot and we'd do one of two things. We'd either sit and tread water to relax in the ocean or we would get to a sandbar where you, you swim out and the water is a lot lower in that spot and you can stand on it. And we did this all the time as a kid. But my dad taught me when swimming in the Gulf that it's important that you understand what the riptide or what the current's doing. How is it pulling you? Is it pulling you further out? Is it, is it uh, not really doing much? What, what's happening with it? And based on how that current was moving, it changed the way we swam. Now, we all know that if you swim out into the ocean, in theory, the quickest way to get back is to just go straight back. But that's not how it works at all when you're swimming in the ocean because of the current. Oftentimes, you have to learn, just as my dad taught me when I was a kid, that you have to swim with the current in order to get where you want to go. You have to choose to surrender that what seems like logically the easiest way to get back, which is to just start swimming back to shore and choose to follow the line of the current. And if you follow the line of the current and slowly, continually move closer to shore, it's much easier to do it in that trajectory than just trying to go straight back. Now, why do I bring up swimming in the ocean this morning? Because the, the skill that I had to learn while swimming in the ocean is this idea of willed passivity. Willed passivity means this, that I choose, even though there's a thought in my mind or there is a, a direction in my mind that I think I want to go, I choose to submit that under a different understanding and choose to swim differently than I desired to. To choose to swim in a slightly different direction ultimately to get me to where I want to go. And that's what willed passivity is. It's choosing to 
be passive in something for a season or for a moment in order to ultimately um, get to the better place, in order to ultimately get to the place that I want to go. And that's ultimately what humility is. It's willing your passivity in, in a moment. It's choosing to allow your opinion or your philosophy to take a back seat in order to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Now, when we talk about passive things in general, we have a negative context of that in our culture, right? Like we don't think positively about the word passive. We think about people who might would be passive in fear. That's somebody who is so fearful that they won't allow their opinion or their thoughts to be heard. We also might think about passive aggressive behavior, right? Somebody who chooses to be passive or somebody who chooses to not allow their opinion to be heard in order to prove a point or in order to let something fall through. Those are both pretty negative understandings of passivity. And then there's also indolent passivity where we, we choose not to say something or we choose not to be heard or we choose to allow things to happen that we don't completely agree with because uh, we just don't want the conflict, right? We see something that we go, ah, I don't really like that, but we don't wanna say something because we are avoiding the conflict. And that is not what passivity or willed passivity means. What willed passivity is being intentional about allowing ourselves to take a back seat to what our opinion is in order to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And that is ultimately what Philippians chapter two is talking about. He's talking, Paul is talking about this idea that if we're in Christ and we've experienced his love and we've experienced the Holy Spirit, that we need to continue and complete that joy that we're experiencing by doing what it takes to be in unity with each other. And that ultimately is choosing humility. It's choosing to allow other people to be more important than our opinion, other people to be more important than our perspective. And we talked a little bit about this in our conversation about community a few weeks ago, but we're diving into it deeper today for one reason. I think it's one of the most important conversations we're having as a culture right now, because the culture that we live in has decided that our opinion and our perspective is more important than people. And that's actually exactly what the Pharisees were in scripture. They were people who cared more about their opinion, about their philosophy, about their version of morals than they did about an individual or about people. And that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the exact opposite. And in this scripture, we are being called to be people of humility. Why? Because when we choose to be people of humility, we will love and care for people more deeply and we will be more deep-rooted, uh, be a more deep-rooted spiritual family than ever before. And that's what God intends for us. That's what Jesus intends for us, to live in a deep-rooted spiritual family. And if we're going to be a healthy spiritual family that has the foundation of Jesus, it requires us to be people that live in humility, that choose to live in a state of willed passivity. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that you don't have opinions. That doesn't mean that you don't have a perspective. And that definitely doesn't mean that it is 
always inappropriate to share those things. But as we'll talk about here in just a little bit, it's not about the fact that you have that opinion. It's about how you share that opinion and how you will that opinion in your, in your community and in your conversations. Now, why is humility so tough for us? Why do we struggle with humility inside of our own life and inside of our spiritual families? Well, we struggle with it because we've been conditioned to think differently in how we live our lives. We live in a world that is really working hard for us all to be little miniature activists, right? Like whatever your opinion is, whatever your perspective is, we are being told to go on the offensive and go fight for that thing that we think or that we believe in. And the problem with that is that that, that attitude, that, that version of love that is activist driven is not one that we see through the majority of Jesus' life. It's not Christ-centered. And yes, we do see a moment. I know a lot of people, when we have these kind of conversations, say, well, Jesus went into the temple with a whip. What I am not saying is that love through activism is never appropriate. What I'm saying is Jesus did it one time in 33 years, and that might be something to think about. Jesus most often showed grace and love and kindness in a way that helped people experience that grace um, in a way that made them more receptive to his message. And that's what we're called to do. We're to show love in a humble way that says, you know what? I have opinions, you have opinions, I have a perspective, you have a perspective. But at the end of the day, we're together underneath the foundation of Jesus Christ and that's what's most important. It, what is not most important is that people agree with me. And what's not most important is my, my role in thinking that my my role is to educate people into thinking like I do. And that, that line of thinking will actually push more people out of our spiritual family than pull people in. And as we talked about when we talked about community, we want our church to be a diverse church. We want our church to be a place where people can have different perspectives and different understandings based on their experiences because your perspective and your opinions are based on your experience as well. And so we want to be people who draw people to repentance. We want to draw people to, as, as scripture tells us, uh, to think differently. That's what that word repentance means. And we do that not through activism, but we do it through kindness. We choose to do it through kindness. The scripture tells us that kindness leads us to repentance, not arguing with people, not educating people on what we think uh, they should think, but we show kindness to them and it draws them to want to know Jesus. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is the one who makes those changes on the inside of them. So how do we choose to live a willed passivity? Or how do we choose to be humble in our own life? I wanna give you three thoughts this morning. Three real basic thoughts. And the first one is, that I choose to be comforted by love instead of similarity. I choose to be comforted by love instead of similarity. Let's look at this passage one more time. In Philippians chapter two, it says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being full in one accord and in one mind. What does that mean? He's saying this, that if there's any comfort in love, which is where we should find comfort, if there's any comfort in the spirit, then complete those things, complete that comfort 
by being of one mind in one love, and then he says in one mind again. Why does he say that? Because he's trying to help us understand where we should find comfort in our life. And it's not by people who just think similarly to us. It's not by people who share all of the same perspectives and opinions that we do. But it's in choosing to be comforted in our love for one another. He says this phrase, be in one mind. Now, for many of us, we would take that as similar perspectives and opinions, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying that you're being in one mind when you choose to be comforted by love for one another, not comforted in similarity. When I choose comfort in love over comfort in similarity, what I'm ultimately choosing is to be in one mind with a foundation that says, I care more about that person than their opinion. And when I choose that, I'm choosing the very first step of humility, that I'm choosing to knock down my opinion just a little bit lower uh, than other people, which actually leads us to the second thing that we need to understand if we're gonna be people of humility, and that is this, that I have to release my conceit. I have to release my conceit. What does verse four say in Philippians two? It says this. Let's read it together one more time. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What is he saying? He's saying release your conceit. What, is, what does it mean to be conceited? It means to have an inflated pride or arrogance or to count yourself as more important or more valuable than other people. And what the scripture is telling us here is there's no room for that in the body of Christ. There's no room for that in your spiritual family. That we not only should release our conceit so that we choose to think of ourselves on an even playing field as other people that think differently or have different perspectives than us, but we actually are called to lower ourselves and put those people in a posture that they are more valuable than ourselves. And when we do that, two things happen. Number one, we become a little bit more like Jesus because that is in and of himself who Jesus was. He chose, as this passage tells us in Philippians chapter two, even though he was uh, at the level of God, he chose to lower himself and walk with mankind and serve God in a way and serve others to the point of death. He put us over and above himself. And God's calling us to do the same thing for those who we live life with. The same thing for those who we are in spiritual community with. That we lower our view of self in order to raise the value of those people. And we only do that when we release conceit. We only do that when we choose to acknowledge that the way that I think is the way that I think. It's not better than the other people. It's not worse than other people. It's just different. So releasing my conceit not only helps me live a little bit more like Jesus, but it also helps me uh, live with a different level of grace in my life. That grace that comes out of my life when I choose to release my conceit allows me to view people differently. And not only that, it allows that grace for those people to change my perspective as well. When I'm conceited and I choose to value how I think more than others, I will never let, let other people's perspectives shape my life. If we want to live humbly and we want to be people who will passivity in our life, we have to first choose to be comforted by love and not by similarity. We have to choose to release our conceit. And then lastly, we have to remember 
why we're doing this. Why are we choosing this humble life? Well, we're choosing it out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter five, we read it in the very beginning, says this, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That we are submitting to a life of humility. We're, we're submitting to be comforted by love and not comforted by similarity. And we're submitting to releasing our conceit because it honors Jesus. It's not just a good thing to do. It, out, of, out of his example, we see him do this constantly in his life on earth. And we are called to live that out as well. And that's actually in many ways freeing for me because if the only reason that I chose humility in my life was because it was just a good principle or a good idea, I probably wouldn't do it as often as I need to. I mean, even in my own strength, I probably won't do it as often as I need to, but I wouldn't strive for it in the same way, right? I wouldn't work towards it in the same way. But when I realize that I'm choosing humility out of reverence for Jesus Christ in my own life, it changes everything. Because this is a gift, not just something that I receive, but it's a gift that I give back to Jesus, the, the Lord and Savior of my life. And when I choose to do these things, when I choose to be a person who is comforted by love and not comforted by similarity, when I choose to release my conceit all on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ already having given me this and I'm choosing to give it back, there is something significant that happens on the inside of us. There's a change and a shift in our soul that begins to happen. And specifically inside of our spiritual family, it allows us to care for people more deeply. It allows us to put deeper roots into that spiritual family because we're not worried about whether or not we agree on everything. We're worried about caring for each other. We're focused on taking care of one another and loving one another in grace and in mercy together. This is what it looks like to be a spiritual family, to be a spiritual family that chooses humility. And the truth is, is that when we ch don't choose humility, that it causes a lot of conflict. When we don't choose humility, what you'll probably find if you don't choose humility is that you bounce from one spiritual family to the other because it becomes more about people agreeing with you than being in unity underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. But when we choose humility, when we choose to live a willed passivity in our life, what we're ultimately choosing is to be inside of the family that God's called us to, to be a part of one spiritual family. And that's my heart for you. That my heart is that you would jump in and be deeply connected to this spiritual family. Well, thank you so much for being with us, church family. Before, um, before we end our time together, I just wanna say a quick prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for every single person that's in our family, that's in our spiritual family. I thank you for them. I thank you for the, the diversity that they bring, the unique perspective that they bring, and the gifts that they bring to your body. And Father, I ask that as we gather, we would gather under this idea that, that it is about uh, being unified underneath your banner, underneath the banner of Jesus Christ and not about just finding people who were similar than us. Father, that we would even be people who celebrate the differences in our spiritual family. And you would grow us because when we grow in this area, Father, we're, we're becoming just a little bit more like Jesus. We, we believe you for these things and we ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. Amen.